We're week six on pious and elaborate treatise concerning prayer and the answer to prayer by John Brown of Wamfrey. Uh, we're up to chapter six, which is on the sinfulness of neglected prayer. And um, the, the Bible verse that uh, Brown is using throughout the book is John 14, 13, and 14. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So, <clears throat> uh, in this chapter, he's going to outline 40 different things um, that he wants to note concerning neglect or laying aside of the duty of prayer. So we're really going to go through these 40 different points. Uh, some will spend more time, some less time. I think uh, some of them, there's some overlap, uh, especially when you start to meditate upon what is involved in, in that point, you're gonna, uh, you'll see that there is some, uh, there's some overlapping concerns. Uh, so this is not, um, it's neither exhaustive, uh, nor is each one of these forty points uh, necessarily a point to be considered independently. But all of them are getting at, at the um, what he believes, and I, and I think uh, as, as we hear these reasons, uh, he's right. There are a lot of different reasons people make up in their minds or comfort themselves with for neglect or laying aside the duty of prayer. Excuses in a way? Yeah, these are these are he's really dealing with uh, the various excuses. So he's dealing with it not by taking excuse after excuse and, and considering uh, he's going to give you 40 reasons why it's it's a a very sinful, wicked thing uh, to lay aside the duty of praying. <clears throat> and, and by the way, this is this is actually in preparation, in part at least, for the next chapter, which has to do with the obligation of even the unregenerate to pray. So, some of these things are points or principles of what we would call natural religion. And, and in fact, uh, when we get the uh, question 73, the first thing noted of the neglected laying aside of the duty is this, that the neglected laying aside of the duty of prayer is a sin condemned by the very light of nature. 
<coughs> and his point in this one is this. The heathen who have their gods, their idols, they expend tremendous amounts of, of their wealth, their time, and so on, to lavish devotion on these idol gods. So, why are they doing that? And his point is, they're doing it because the light of nature is telling them, pray. Right? They, they don't know unto uh, which God. <clears throat> That's the problem, remember, that uh, Paul runs into on Mars Hill. But they know that they ought to pray. They know that they ought to approach God. They just don't know which God is the true God, and they don't know how to pray. And nonetheless, they demonstrate by their vain devotions that this is a principle of light of nature. And so if you are neglecting it, you are sinning against light of nature. Which is another way of saying... You're, you're sinning, like a sodomite, then. Hmm? You're almost like a sodomite because you're sinning against light. Yeah, you're, you're, it, it is unnatural not to pray. It's an unnatural sin not to pray. Especially for the Christian because you've been told how to pray. Well, that, you know, we're going to get into that. But, but it, for all men, it, there is an unnatural hmm. aspect of this. <clears throat> right. I mean, even... Even the most callous, careless, heedless of the heathen are, are um, inclined to, uh, to give heed to the, uh, this idea of prayer when they're in an extreme situation. Alright? Okay, let's move on to the second thing then. The second thing noted, number 74, second thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of this duty uh, is it, it really is a plain denial of the natural worship which is due to God for man. And the, the idea is, here is, is this, it's a practical denial of him as Lord. We are practically denying <coughs> that God is our Lord. Again, notice that Brown is, is emphasizing this is a part of natural worship. And so, again, he's, he's really saying not to pray is unnatural. 
It's not just unchristian, it's unnatural. <clears throat> All right, uh, 75. What is the third thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of his duty of the prayer? Since the, the third thing about this is if we neglect and forsake the duty of prayer, uh, it's as much as saying we have no dependence on the Lord, that we're lords ourselves. <coughs> and he, he says it's, it's as much as saying uh, that we can live well enough without God. <coughs> so now he's saying, look, think about this one. If you are unwilling to acknowledge your dependence upon God, there is in that unwillingness, there is an aspect of that which is practical atheism. It's almost, it's almost <coughs> blasphemous too, right? You're, there is, I think there, yeah, there is, there is you're saying uh, that you're blasphemy uh, wrapped up in it. And, and he says, in fact, let me just quote, he says, there, he says that much hard blasphemy is wrapped up in this evil. Okay, so, yes, it's blasphemous. Because what, what you are asserting by not praying is you are, in fact, your own God. Right? That's, that's his point, saying you're your own Lord. You have you have control of the situation. You you can handle um, you know the events of providence, right? You you can shape your own providence, and so on. We're in charge of our own destiny. Yeah, right. The, the, I'm the captain of my uh, my uh, soul. Sink, your sinking ship. And all of that. <laughs> you're right. It, it, that's exactly what you you're really the captain of your sinking ship. Yeah. All right, 76, what is the fourth thing noted in neglect and laying aside of the duty of prayer? <coughs> and I think this is an interesting thing for him to note. He says, what you're doing when you neglect prayer is you're declaring before angels and men and taking the devils also as witness that we do not acknowledge God to be the author and fountain of any good that we enjoy. <laughs> that we are, in fact, entirely self-sufficient. He says, and isn't this a dreadful evil? This is a, a horrible, horrible thing that we should, um, that we should bear that kind of witness. We're, we're supposed to bear an entirely different kind of witness as Christians, but simply as creatures. You know, he's not really getting into the, um, the, the peculiarly Christian uh, aspects of, of this, the sinfulness of neglecting the duty. Right? He's still really kind of dealing with this as a problem uh, in in the natural religion. 
Right. 77. What's the fifth thing noted in the neglect and laying aside of his duty? Uh, well, he says, we're, we're declaring when we lay aside praying, we really don't believe God to be an omnipresent God, uh, one near us, or an omniscient God who's acquainted with our condition, uh, nor an almighty God who is able to help and supply our needs. In other words, uh, we're, we're actually, and, and this gets into, or I, I think in a, in a sense doubles back on what he's already said. What we're doing is, in a sense, uh, making an idol. We're making an idol out of God. Uh, because we are, in fact, declaring something by our actions, by our thoughts, that is contrary to the nature of the true God. We're, we're assaulting Him in His attributes. <clears throat> so that, too, is a, a very big problem and something that we, we need to, I think, take very seriously. You know, it's, and, and here he does um, accuse people who lay aside or neglect the duty of practical atheism, right? Because that's, that's essentially what you've done. You've turned God into uh, what an idol really is, right? The, the, think about what he's, what he's saying, you know, the heathen... Imagine their idols to be what they are not, able to hear and answer their prayers and, and so on, whereas we profess to worship the true God, but we turn him into something he's not by refusing to pray. We make him like idols really are. Right? That's, mm -hmm. And that's a, that, I think, is uh, where, where he's coming to this practical atheism point of view. We're really making God to be no God at all. <clears throat> so that's that's a very serious charge. All right, uh, seventy-eight. What is the sixth thing uh, noted of the neglect and laying aside of this duty? He says, if we neglect the duty of prayer, <coughs> we are declaring. That it is, as far as we're concerned, uh, it's vain to call on God. Right? We're, we're essentially saying he doesn't hear. He's, he's not a God that hears prayers. And again, he says, this is, you know, what difference is there between this God and the gods of the heathen? Right? Gods of sticks and stones. And he calls this, again, blasphemy. And I, I think we, we need to remember that there is a sense in which uh, probably every one of these reasons we can say uh, is an indication of practical atheism 
it, it indicates you have turned the true God into an idol. Um, it's also a blasphemous assault against God. Right, so there are in in each one of these these um, uh, neglects that he's mentioning, there are elements of violations of the first three commandments for sure. Right. Again and again and again. So, you know, this is. I mean, if we consider each one of these things as a ratcheting up of the charge, a heightening of the aggravation, then the heightening of the aggravation of the violation of these commandments respecting how we're to relate to God is heightened. And so these are not little things. Even if they were, remember, uh, the Song of Solomon says it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. But they're not really little things. You know, these, these are only little in our estimation because our estimation of God is sorely defective. <clears throat> All right, let's move on to the seventh. Uh, number 79, the seventh thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of this duty. <clears throat> and here he's getting a little bit more into <coughs> the, um, the implications for us as Christians, as believers. He says, neglecting this duty, if we neglect the duty of prayer... We're either saying we have no need of or that we don't care for the great blessings of the new covenant. Or, and this is maybe worse, that we can have these blessings without in any sense being beholden to God for them. <clears throat> And he says that um, he actually, and, and this is uh, again how heinous he views this, he says, who that hasn't sold himself to the devil and all mischief will dare to say that he neither has need of nor cares for the blessings of the new covenant purchased by Christ. In other words, it's, it's positively a devilish thing. And he points out that, you know, we're told in the Bible that God is to be inquired of. Right? James says in James 4.2 that you don't have because you don't ask. In Ezekiel 36.37, he's to be inquired of for these things. Right? Don't presume. So again, to believe that we can have the blessings of the new covenant without 
somehow being beholden to God um, is, in in some sense, the height of spiritual pride. You know, God is going to bless me. God is going to bless my children. God is going to bless my house. Uh, but I don't need to pray for that. You know, he's just going to do that because, relatively speaking, I'm not as bad as everyone else. That's not the way it works. But God wants you to ask. Yes, he's promised all kinds of benefits. All right. Uh, what's the eighth thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of this duty? By neglecting this duty, we're saying either that Christ has not consecrated a new and living way for sinners to draw near to God, or that though he thought the matter so much worth as to lay down his life to purchase it, uh, we, we put no value upon it at all. <clears throat> and herein, he says, it's a very good indication for someone to profess to be a Christian and not to pray that that person is entirely undervaluing the love of Christ. Do you really understood? Do you really understand what he did, right? To to make redemption possible for you. Do you understand what he did to open and consecrate a way of access to God? You know, he laid down his life. He gave his all. And what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to make a mess of that, right? You're going to uh, put your finger in his eye and say, oh, there's nothing there. You know, it, it doesn't really matter what he did. It's not a big deal. Or, uh, you know, treat it like something, well, I didn't ask him to do that. You know, there, there's an entire, uh, this, this undervaluing, this ingratitude. Right, that that he is, uh, that he has done what he has done for his people in the gospel. And I, I think one of the most serious uh, charges that he lays to people on this point <coughs> is, he says. Um, what you're essentially doing when you refuse to pray, remember, Christ died in order to open up access so that you can have communion with God again. And for you to neglect to pray is to assert, practically speaking, to assert that Christ was prodigal with his life, that he squandered his life. Not a big deal, what he did. Probably a waste of time, what he did. 
you know, maybe not necessary what he did. There, there are all kinds of, of undervaluing in, uh, and, and I, I would say symptoms of ingratitude that are bound up in this. 81. What is the ninth thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of this duty? <clears throat> uh, such who lay aside the duty deny Christ being an intercessor to make the prayers of his people acceptable by presenting them with incense in the censer. In other words, Christ, we're told, ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. And in Revelation 8, we read that the prayers of the saints are offered up uh, with the um, uh, with the work, the righteous work that he has done. And on, on the basis of the righteous work that he has done uh, in his sacrificial dying. That has made our prayers acceptable to God. Okay? So by neglecting to pray, you are in fact denying Him the exercise of the office of intercessor which He holds now since his ascension to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. All right, the tenth thing noted the neglect and laying aside of this duty, number 82. To deny prayers, really to deny all the works of redemption performed by Christ, or think it not worthy the giving of, of him thanks for all of that. <coughs> After all, you're not going to pray to him or pray to the Father through him. You're going to be content to let all of that go. Right? All of that is, is um, unimportant. So we don't get the sense yet. Brown is, I think, trying to shame you uh, into praying. Right? I mean, if you're not praying, he's trying to tell you you've professed to be a Christian and you're not praying. You you're really um, you're guilty of a lot more than just not praying. Your confession before God and the angels and to some extent before men uh, to the extent that they understand that you don't pray that confession is one that leads or, or should lead you to conclude that there is nothing of grace going on here really Remember, I think it was last time he pointed out uh, in Acts uh, when, <clears throat> when Paul is converted 
there's immediate concern that he might not be a believer, that he might just be putting on airs. But the scripture announces that he's converted by saying, Behold, Paul, he, he prays, and he prayeth. And Brown now is really arguing, if, if you're not praying, you need to ask some serious questions of yourself. You need to be searching yourself and asking, am I really a believer? Right? Or am I really a serious believer? You know, am I just going through some motions? Or has my heart been touched in such a way that I, I want to talk to God? Right? There's something wrong if you don't. And so this tenth point about denying all the works of redemption, or thinking it's not worth giving thanks... And frankly, I'm not sure which is worse for a Christian. You know, to deny what Christ has done? Practically? It's practical atheism. Uh, or just to be in a state of ingratitude for what he's done. You know, I think you could probably argue the case on either side. All right. Um, what's the eleventh thing noted in the neglect and laying aside of the duty? Number 83. says to lay aside this duty is to deny that Christ is a great prophet who must instruct us in the way of life. It's, it's essentially to say we have no need of his instruction. Because people who don't pray are not crying out for knowledge. They're not lifting up their voice for understanding. They're not seeking He basically says they're undervaluers of spiritual favors. And I think that's exactly right. Exactly the way to characterize. It's a complete undervaluing. Complete failure to apprehend uh, the gravity of the situation or the grace of God in it. All right. And number 84, the 12th thing noted in neglecting laying aside of his duty. I think this is uh, one of my favorites. Is uh, that neglecting the duty is professing that you're not going to own or acknowledge Christ for king. You're not going to worship him as Lord. Again, it's to refuse to acknowledge that you're, you are to be in a state of subjection. It's a refusal to acknowledge your dependence on him. And he says, you know, by failure, your, fa your failure to pray... You are declaring that you are an enemy 
an open enemy to Christ. And he says, the sad word that at length you're going to hear, he quotes Luke 19.27, those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. In other words, there's great judgment set before you. <clears throat> so again, Brown wants you to understand this is a sin in many respects unlike any other kind of sin that you could commit. Like this is a failure to pray and, and think about all of these things that he's listed so far. What it comes down to is uh, it is a declaration of independence from God. It is a failure to recognize or acquiesce in the sovereign supremacy and the dignity of God or in that that kingly um, uh, that kingly office of Christ What's the 13th thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of this duty? Number 85. People do. He says, undervalue Christ's authority in commanding and enjoining this duty. And they misregard all the encouragements that he's given to hearken to this duty. In essence, he, he's, he's saying, not just are you undervaluing uh, what Christ has done, not only is there this element of ingratitude, you know, all of that um, is bad. But you're treating what Christ has commanded that you should pray, you're treating it as something either not true or unworthy of your consideration. If you're treating it as something not true, you're essentially calling Christ a liar. And if you are treating it as something not worthy of your consideration, well, I think you have a higher opinion of yourself than you do of God.
Right? There's, it's a clear indication, again, of spiritual pride. And spiritual pride will keep you from praying. It won't keep you from making prayers, necessarily. But it will keep you from praying. You might mouth the words to go through, you know, um, some kind of formal exercise. But you're, there, there's nothing really behind it. All right. At 86, what's the 14th thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of this duty? He says, those who neglect it, they really don't lay much weight on the example of Christ, who was so much in the duty of prayer in the days of his flesh. And that is the same as saying you have ne less need of God than Christ had. Right? Who's Christ? God in the flesh. Yes, he is living the life of a man. But he's still totally dependent upon God. He's totally dependent upon God. But... Um, he is himself the you know the divine son of god and the point is do we have less need of god than christ who's living a perfect life right who's who's going to suffer and die not for anything that he's done is our position better are we in a better uh, place than, than he? I don't think so. All right, what's the 15th thing noted the neglect and laying aside of this duty, number 87? Such as lay this duty aside, proclaim they have nothing to do with the Spirit as the Spirit of grace and supplication. So they're denying that the Spirit is given and sent or promised for this end to help us in prayer. And so we see then that, you know, there is in this denial a renunciation of any interest in God, Father, Son, or Holy Ghost. He says, such people are content to live without all three persons of the Trinity. <clears throat> all right, number 88. 
what is the sixteenth thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of his duty? Uh, people who don't pray declare that they never had the spirit dwelling in them as the spirit of adoption. Now, the reason he says this is, is why? What does the spirit of adoption do? Causes us to cry out the Father? Yeah. It causes us to pray. Which, going back to, you know, the Example of Paul, behold, he prayeth. Why? Well, it's an indication he's received the spirit of adoption. So if you are not inclined to pray, if you see no need in it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't, um, there's nothing moving you to that, you're declaring that there's no spirit of adoption. <clears throat> now these are all warnings, but let, let me just pause here for a moment and, and point out that, you know, Brown, Brown would say to you at, at this point, you know, if you, if you find yourself in this position, the answer isn't to give up, right? The answer is, to pray that God would give you the spirit of adoption. Because he's promised to give the spirit to those who ask. The fact is that unbelievers, uh, wicked men, reprobates, they're not going to do that. You know, this should humble you. If it's, it's meant to humble you, if you are called of God, it will humble you. Right? If you are negligent at all, this should be a, a wake-up call. If you're negligent altogether, it's more than just a wake-up call. It is a call to assess where you are spiritually. Right? Time is short. Don't assume Number 89, 17th thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of this duty. Those who neglect and lay aside the duty willingly consent to the lack of the help of the Spirit to cause us to pray and to pray in us and cry in us, Abba Father. We willingly consent to not having the Spirit. And that's not a good confession, is it? He says it's desperate folly to refuse the assistance of the Spirit and to put and keep yourself wholly out of the capacity of receiving the influences of the spirit of prayer. All right. <clears throat> 90. 
What is the 18th thing noted in the, the neglect and laying aside of his duty? He says, people who lay aside the duty of prayer condemn and undervalue the access to the Father, which the Spirit's work is to help us to. This is a look on access to the Father as something that's not even a necess necessarily a desirable privilege. Here again is this problem of undervaluing. Right, we can see that in a lot of these. There's an undervaluing. There's a failure to apprehend the great worth of what it is God has done for sinners. Ninety-one. That's the nineteenth thing noted: the neglect and laying aside of this duty. Uh, laying aside of this duty, he says, uh, those who lay it aside declare themselves void of the graces of the Spirit of God. But he goes on to say, they also proclaim themselves unwilling. To have the fruit of the Spirit. So you're acknowledging that you don't have the graces of the Spirit of God. You're, you're void of the grace of God. And you're also saying you don't want to have the fruit of the Spirit. Because, you know, prayer is one of the uh, things listed as the fruit of the Spirit. Praying um, is the fruit of the Spirit working. All right, 92. What's the 20th thing noted in neglect? Uh, laying aside of this duty. People who neglect or lay aside the duty of prayer, he says, plainly declare that they have no relation to God as his children, nor yet made partakers of the privilege of adoption. And he gets into um, this whole question. You know, are, are you reconciled to God? If you were reconciled to God, it wouldn't be like this, right? People who are reconciled to God, people who are translated into the kingdom of His Son, they have the spirit of His Son, and they cry out, Abba, Father. Right, 93. 
21st thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of the duty of prayer. Those who lay aside the duty and neglect prayer declare to all that they are strangers to that glorious change which grace makes and are yet in the old stock of nature. In other words, he's saying they're declaring that they're not born again. They are yet unregenerate. They are yet in the old nature, the Adamic nature. They've not seen a translation uh, into a, a new creature in Christ. If they had, if they were born again, they would turn their faces and their hearts Godward. And they would, they would um, show forth those desires toward God in prayer. Right, 20, what's the 22nd thing noted? of the neglect and laying aside of this duty, number 94. Neglecting the duty of prayer declares those who do so unworthy of that high honor and privilege of being priests of the Most High. They're unwilling to offer up the sacrifice of prayer and praise the calves of their lips. And yet he points out that those who are in Christ are called to be a kingdom of priests. How can you be part of this kingdom in, and you don't want to um, pray? What's the 23rd thing noted in the neglect and laying aside of the duty of prayer? Those who neglect the duty of prayer plainly declare they are none of the people of God because they lack the distinguishing note and character whereby they are known from others. Why does he say this? Because, as he goes on to point out, the people of God are such as call on God. In fact, it is their special work and employment. Especially the public prayer. Because that, that's how their public prayer is our kind of outward profession to the world, that we are Christians, right? But even well, in, in, the, in our, our public private, prayers, there is that profession. But he, in know, our that, private prayers, we're witnessing to ourselves in a way. Correct. Yeah, and and, and we are holding ourselves to a standard. Well, we're, we're holding ourselves um, as members of mm -hmm. that kingdom of priests. Right. We are we are um, aspiring to that.
Right, 24. It's 24 thing noted in neglect and lien of duty. <coughs> number 96. Uh, those who neglect prayer declare uh, they neither are nor desire to be among the number of the servants of God. This is the service which God has uh, laid upon his people. And his people call on him. His people offer up the sacrifice of praise and prayer. And so, he says there's wickedness wrapped up in anything that amounts like laying aside prayer, anything like that which declares that we're wearied of God in his service. You think about this. You're not <coughs> you're not weary serving the things you love. Right? Whether whether it's um, your job, your family, your um, husband, your husband, what, you know, your children, you know, your nation, people, people, whatever it is, people don't tend to get weary of serving what they love to serve. They like to do things. Look and, and ask yourself, what what are the things you like to do, and for whom? Right. That is an indication of where your affections are. And if you can't see that same kind of affection at work in praying to God you need to begin to ask questions. Right? It's very easy for all these other things to be to be idols. You know, some of them some of them are legitimate in and of themselves, some are not. You know, for some people, uh, for wicked men, their affections are on their sins. And what's the 25th thing noted in the neglect and leaning aside of this duty? Number 97. Uh, it says it's as much to say in effect that they're lords and will come no more to God. They're rich and increased in goods. They have need of nothing. And now, he really, in this point, it's a little bit different. He said something similar to this earlier, but here he's really emphasizing um, that there is, in such, a senselessness uh, to their real need in this world, particularly with regard 
to the burden of sin uh, and, and, and evil heart of unbelief to depart from the living God. You know, they have no difficulties, right? Because there are no dark steps in the way because they're not desirous of light. In other words... They don't even know they, they're in the dark then. Yeah, they're... they're they, they really think that everything is okay. And, and I would say that there is, in this aspect of it, um, you'll see this in people. They, they, uh, a lot of times they tend to be a little bit fatalistic, I think, as well. And particularly when they, think, they, they view things as going relatively... Um, relatively in the direction they would like. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be, kind of thing. Yeah, but I, I they're, um, and, and he says they're not anxious about anything, uh, not because they're, they're entrusting it to prayer, it's just because they're senseless. Right. We're, we're to take our anxieties to God in prayer. But there are people who are not anxious um, and consequently uh, they dismiss the whole idea of praying. And then, that's a sign that God hates people when, when he kind of just gives them everything they need so that way they don't pray because he oftentimes afflicts his people so that they do pray. Yeah, to yeah to to receive the blessings of God in this life when you're not asking for them is not necessarily a good thing. Of course, they're going to think that, that they're doing something good because everything's going their I mean, way. I, I think a lot of times they don't just think they're doing something good. They just think they are good. Hmm. You know, I'm a relatively good person. That's why God is is blessing me in this way. It's a, it's a delusion. Mm. All right. Uh, what's the 26th thing noted of the neglected laying aside of this duty? Number 98. They declare that they will not be in God's community for their daily bread. That they're not going to seek it of Him nor depend on Him for it. And that's the, so why uh, um, things like socialism are so, are so bad because it takes the dependence off of God and makes man or the government the supplier of your daily bread, correct? Yeah, there's, there is a lot of that in, in um, any kind of socialistic system. Same thing with insurance but, too, right? Yeah, insurance has the same tendency and there are reasons why... Um, we ought to reject these things. You know, we, we should uh, understand that we are in God's uh, in God's hands, and He'll provide as needed. You know that uh, socialism and, and insurance and, and that uh, is sort of laying up for. Uh, the 
judgments of God, trying well, to insulate yourself from it? Sometimes it's for that, right? A lot of times insurance policies are in place to remunerate. Um, they talk about acts of God. Sometimes they remunerate and sometimes they don't uh, with respect to that. But he, what, he, what he's saying here is that there is this improvidence in, in not praying. Um, we, we just, um, we think, and he, he's actually spends quite a bit of time on this point, uh, this idea that we don't depend on him by faith, uh, to, to give our daily food or things of that sort, uh, that we, we're not in... Uh, in a constant state of waiting on providence, the providence of God from day to day, in the use of lawful means. You know, and yeah, a lot of these things we just talked about are schemes that men set up to avoid being in that position. They don't want to have to do that. They don't like to be hanging on, you know, on on the providence of God on a day to day basis. You know, they don't like the contingency. Uh, sort of like leaning back in your chair to the point where you feel that feeling when you feel like you're about to tip over backward, but you don't, right there, where you just feel off balance. That's sort of how it feels when you are living day to day. You know, your flesh is always feeling off balance. Uh, but he says, laying aside the duty of prayer when it comes to all of these outward blessings is um, is really failing to recognize that you've forfeited all the right to these things, these outward things, uh, because of Adam's transgression, right? And you, you don't deserve them. You deserve to be deprived of them and have them cursed to you and so on. So we ought to ask God instead to bless them to us. You know, give them to us and bless them to us. All right, uh, 99. What's the 27th thing noted in the collecting aside of the duty of prayer? Those who lay aside the duty of prayer declare that uh, far less will they depend upon God and wait on Him and seek from Him what's necessary for the life of their souls. Right, so he's really saying, look, if, if laying aside of prayer, you're not going to depend on Him for your temporal needs, how much less your spiritual needs, right? Uh, the spiritual good things. <clears throat> All right, we're up to number 100. The 28th thing noted in neglect and laying aside of the duty of prayer. 
people who neglect prayer are in fact declaring that they're either free of original sin and actual sin or that they think that they can fully satisfy God's justice for any offense they've done. And once again, I guess it goes to show that even the light of nature teaches you that you have sin because otherwise why would they be offering sacrifice, correct? Yeah, that, that is true. But, you know, if you're not going to pray to God, you're, you're essentially, you're either saying, I'm not a sinner, you know, I don't have original sin, I don't have actual sin, or you're asserting, <coughs> I'm a sinner, but I can, you know, I can uh, uh, fully satisfy God's justice for whatever I've done. I wonder what the sinless prophet or the prophet, what do you call it, like the, the the people that Spurgeon would would rip on. They, they thought that they had attained that, that perfection. Entire, entire sanctification. I wonder if they believe that that Christian perfection. Once they yeah, once they reach that Christian perfection, if they don't have to pray anymore. Have you ever heard about anything from from them? Um, you know, I I don't know that that. Uh, <coughs> I mean, Finney, Finney was a great proponent of this idea, and I don't think he would have gone that length. Uh, I think he probably would have said, and, and from his example, he, uh, he would have shown that, you know, he thought certainly uh, that he ought to pray. Now, how they pray... Mm-hmm. The, the subject matter of their prayer, that's something very different. Um, but as, as far as uh, neglect of prayer, I'm not going to say that none of them concluded that, but I don't know that uh, some of the major proponents necessarily uh, set that aside, that, that idea. Uh, but yeah, I, I can see why, you know, it, it might be something which, you know, to them seems to be uh, something that we ought to do, you know, or not not necessary for us to do if we reach perfection. But anyway, we the idea that we need, that Christ teaches us to pray daily, forgive us our trespasses, and we forgive them the trespasses against us, really strikes against the idea that we don't need uh, daily uh, to be praying fully cognizant of the fact that we're sinners. Right? Why would we want to declare ourselves to be not not to be sinners, or uh, why would we want to uh, do anything that would insinuate or imply that we think we're able to satisfy divine justice? That, Sounds to me like a fool's errand. All right, 101, what's the 29th thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of the duty of prayer? Those who neglect it declare either that they're in no hazard of being led astray, led aside, drawn away after the wickedness of their own heart and power of flesh, and so on, so that they, they really are immune from sinning or they declare that they're able enough of themselves to resist all these temptations and overcome them. 
<clears throat> so they're either saying they think it's not necessary for whatever reason, or uh, they can handle it themselves. When temptations come, they can handle it themselves. Again, this is foolishness. Right? Uh, Brown says they won't pray that the Lord would not lead them into temptation, but deliver them from evil. You know, they're, they're not... Uh, they're just not sensible of how they really are. They're totally insensible. And somebody who, you know, thinks that, whether consciously or unconsciously, again, it's, it's, um, it's foolish and it's wicked. Right, 102, what is the 30th thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of his duty? Those who set aside the duty of prayer in plain terms say they have no need of God's help, light, counsel, or direction. Abraham, when he was going to seek a wife for Isaac, he was able enough to manage that without going to God in prayer. There's this idea, again, I, I would say that tied up with this one, again, is that idea of uh, spiritual pride. Right? I don't need God to show me. I don't need direction in this matter. You know, I'm wise enough to know what to do, how to do it, you know, how to get from where I am to where I need to be, or where I am and where I want to be, provided you know it's all lawful. That that's really an assertion, you know, that of of um, independence of the of uh, the divine. You know, a failure to grasp your dependence upon God. Again, it's it's spiritual pride. All right, one hundred three. What's the thirty first thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of the duty of prayer? Those who lay aside the duty of prayer declare either God is not concerned in their afflictions or troubles or that all things fall out by chance and fortune. In other words, there is this this um, implication that uh, that he says can be drawn from this. You are denying a general providence of God, a universal providence of God. Right? 
It's either, you know, God isn't going to be uh, interested in my problems, that kind of idea. You know, God has other things to do. Right? He's running the universe. He doesn't have time to worry about my little problem over here. Which is a denial of the universal providence of God. Or, look, there are things that just happen. Chance and fortune. You know, things fall out. Um, and again, it's a denial of the universal providence of God. And uh, there are a growing number of people who have adopted <coughs> different versions of process theology uh, nowadays that God is ever learning himself and uh, that he can't know the future because it hasn't actually occurred yet and knowledge is, is something solid it, you know it, it can't respect something which has not yet occurred yet. So in their theology then, would God be constantly decreeing things? Like, this happens, okay, now I decree this, that way this happens. Oh, that happened, now I decree this, that yeah, way. Yeah, not only that. So I, it's, not, I, it's not fixed. It's there's not a fixed there's an idea, I mean, I, they don't put it this way, but it sounds this way to me. It sounds like they're describing God being constantly surprised. Yeah. Ooh, I... Didn't expect that. You know, what am I going to do now? Uh, oh, I see that's going on. Ah, I have to take care of that. Got to plug that hole. So there is no you one know. decree then, because there's always oh no no decrees. no. This is this is really. I mean, there there this vision or view of God is is um, it's not even worthy of the name God. Really, it, it's pathetic. But it has been getting. Uh, a larger and larger audience over the last 30 or 40 years. And it used to be um, just a small segment of philosophers, I think Alfred, uh, Alfred North Whitehead, uh, Charles Hartshorn was really the one he just died a few years ago, over a hundred years old, uh, but he was one of the proponents of this process of theology, and it it got taken up, and and I think it was um, to a certain extent uh, legitimized when Clark Pinnock at McMaster uh, in in Toronto when he embraced this idea. Uh, maybe 25 years ago or so. He's dead now, but Clark Pinnock is is a sad story of a fellow who started out as a Calvinist and became an Arminian and then became a process theologian. You just see his entire life was one of decline uh, from the truth. But in his decline, a lot of people followed him. And so this idea has gotten a lot more uh, I think a lot more advertisement in Christian circles 
than it probably would have had it remained, you know, in the in the academy in and among the philosophers. Uh, but it, it it's been brought in uh, because of problems in Arminian theology, you know, co consistent Arminians really end up, uh, I think, either adopting some form of Molinism, middle knowledge, like there's a black box that God can't see into that black box, and you know we make our decisions, and then God has to respond to that, or just full-blown process theology. Process theology is just taking that Molinist black box in spreading it over the whole course of providence. <clears throat> you know, God can't see into it for whatever reason. Uh, so anyway, the, the, laying aside, you know, the duty of prayer in, in a certain sense is asserting that view of the universe. If there's no universal providence. God isn't really in control of everything or couldn't possibly care about everything. Um, again, there, uh, whether or not people are consciously thinking that, Brown is saying this is an implication. All right. Uh, 104, what's the 32nd thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of the duty? He says that people who do so declare their open contempt and undervaluing of all great and special blessings of the new covenant purchased by Jesus Christ. And it says, Luke eleven thirteen. He gives the Spirit to them that ask him. So you're you're condemning and undervaluing. The special blessings in the New Covenant. The special blessings are epitomized, really, with the giving of the Spirit, uh, who is both given by prayer and is himself the Spirit of prayer, right? He gives himself in a way, right? Right. So there is there's a total, a total um, undervaluing at that point and, and contempt. You know, and that I, I on this point, I think Brown is is pointing out that there is, just as there was in the previous, but more so in this one, I think he's pointing out there is an underlying, not just Arminian but maybe Pelagian um, note to the neglect of prayer. You know, I don't need the divine help of the spirit you know i my my will is is not corrupted by sin you know i'm not such a bad person after all all right 105 the 33rd thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of prayer is People who lay aside the duty of prayer trample underfoot the manifold commands of God and violate his express laws, given both in nature and in the word. That's important. Right? He, he said that early on. 
violation of natural religion. It's a violation of revealed religion, too. It's a violation of the commands of both that tell us we ought to pray. In fact, his revealed will tells us the right manner of going about praying. But he says those who reject this and want to follow their own mind, do their own will. Uh, doesn't matter then that God enjoins the contrary. All right, 106 to 34, thing noted of the neglect of prayer. This is an interesting one. Uh, those who neglect <coughs> prayer lay no weight at all on the examples of other holy men of God who have minded this duty and taken delight in it. And so he says, these godly, the godly men who have gone before us, uh, they went before us for imitation and encouragement. And they show us an example of wherein they pray and take delight in praying. I find this interesting uh, because in, in, our, in our terms of communion, uh, our fifth term of communion has to do with, with um, basically following in the footsteps of the flock, uh, following the example of the good and godly martyrs and so on. And, and Brown is arguing from that right here. Yeah. Would that kind of be like moving the marking stones? To not, not to um, delight in prayer as they did, would be. Yeah. Yeah, they've, they've set these boundaries around the church. Are you saying these, these people are... are ought to be encouragements. In fact, you know, one of the best reasons to read uh, Christian autobiographies or Christian biographies is you, you get some sense a lot of times of uh, how these people prayed. You know, the things for which they prayed, the reasons for which they prayed, uh, how often they prayed, and so on. And those are all helpful, and he's, he's pointing to that. And, and by the way, let me say before we move on here on this point, you know, again, Samuel Rutherford said that John Brown of Lamphrey was the most spiritual man that he knew. Um, and that, uh, if that statement is accurate uh, then Rutherford himself may well have been looking to Brown as an example of someone who prayed alright 35 the 35th thing noted 107 people who lay aside the duty of prayer Deny the common duty of nature and Christianity to all around them. And in fact, they declare themselves unworthy to live under 
magistrates to enjoy the benefit of government uh, because they won't pray for those who are in authority. And they show themselves unworthy of the benefit of ministers because they won't pray for ministers. They neglect the one piece of their duty to their masters or parents and so on. He says they carry undutifully and unbrotherly to their equals. Okay, number 36. Question 108. What's the 36 thing noted? Uh, laying aside the duty of prayer is by doing so Brown says you renounce all communion with God and say that such persons say they're content to live in the world without God, without Christ. Now this is getting into or presuming a, a bit on the, you know, the nature of prayer, that there is communion with the Father and the Son. And he's saying that you know to neglect it is to uh, to renounce all communion with God. He says that's a willful and deliberate refusal of fellowship with God. Of course, that's a horrible thing. 109. What's the 37th thing noted in the neglect and laying aside of the duty? He says, such as lay aside the duty of prayer declare that they will not subject themselves to the holy will of God in one thing or another. They're not going to study conformity to any of his commandments. And so whether or not you pray, he's saying, is a good indication of whether or not you're going to conform to his commands at all. Because by prayer we fetch the grace to conform. Well, we're fetching the grace to conform, but by not praying, we are we are rejecting what is, in a sense, the most immediate command laid upon us. Right? That we would call out to God, that we would uh, make this our duty, that we would be willing and ready to carry out this duty and so on. 110, question 110, what's the 38 thing noted? Out of the neglect and laying aside of this duty. He says, people who refuse to pray declare themselves to be enemies to the kingdom of Christ rather than friends and well-wishers to the coming of it. Why? He says, you're not going to pray that the kingdom of Christ would would be established. You're not going to pray for the Jews or the Gentiles. You're not going to pray for a blessing on the ordinances of Christ. You're not going to pray uh, that, that Christ would take his great power and reign, that his enemies would be made his footstool, that the kingdom of Satan and of Antichrist would be brought down, or that the work of Reformation would prosper throughout the world. Is that what he has written? 
<coughs> yeah. Is that where you get your, your uh, opening sermon prayer from? No, it's the opening sermon prayers from the director of public worship. Uh, and all that stuff is in there. So that's where he probably got it from. Well, he's, uh, yeah, he's writing after that period of time, so. But these are all things that, that you know, were a matter of prayer, not just for the Westminster Divines or for somebody like John Brown of Lamphrey, but they were common to the prayers of the Protestant people of God, right? wherever they were at that time. They were looking for the prosperity of the Reformation. They were looking for the kingdom of Antichrist to be pulled down, for the kingdom of Jesus Christ to be established, for the converting of the Jews, for the fullness of the Gentiles. Um, these were all matters that were before them and of concern. All right. Uh, 111, what's the 39th thing noted in neglected laying aside duty of prayer? The 39th thing is that such declare openly that they're little concerned with the glory of God in the world. And that it's all one to them whether God is honored or dishonored. And that's, that's actually a very horrific thing. Uh, he says, because we ought to be praying rather in accordance with Isaiah 11.9 and Hebrews 2.14 that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord may fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. But what are you doing if you refuse to pray? He's saying, you're essentially, you're saying, I don't really care whether this happens or not. Whether God is served or not served, whether he's honored or dishonored, doesn't matter. <clears throat> right? As far as I'm concerned, I don't care whether or not the glory of God is advanced in the earth. So finally then, question 112, the 40th thing noted of the neglect and laying aside of this duty of prayer is such as lay it aside, declare themselves indifferent how God would be served in the world and how his will will be done. He says what, what it means is you don't really care whether everyone remain rebels or become subjects to God. It's all the same. Because you're not going to pray that God's will would be done on earth as is done by the angels in heaven. <clears throat> There's just no concern whatsoever. So those are the 40 uh, reasons that Brown gives uh, why it is such a wicked thing to lay aside praying, uh, to fail to pray, to see, to see the duty of prayer, and so on. So next time, as I said, in chapter 7, we're going to take up the question of the unregenerate. Uh, he's going to explain why even the unregenerate are obliged to pray. So you might be one of these people who says, well, I'm not a believer. You know, I don't really believe. I don't, why should I have to pray? Well, it doesn't matter whether or not you believe. 
that prayer is, first of all, as we began, prayer is a duty of, uh, of the religion of nature. And the very fact that you are required by the duty of nature to pray should make you very <coughs> forward to discover the manner in which you ought to pray. Anyway, Brown will take up that question next time.